0: The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. So this morning we're going to continue our summer series, Where We Stand. You know, for the next few weeks, we want to walk through just different aspects of our church's statement of faith. And so, I mean, it's it's very good that they have guests here because you get to hear, I guess, some of the core principles and core teachings that we hold to here at Grace Family Church. Last week, Joel Bain would have mentioned the fact that if you want to figure out the convictions of the pastors, for example, you can just take a look and go there. I hear not the feedback. the other mics? So, but yes, so, and so you, as you, you can actually visit our website. It's at Church. You can go to the section called About. So you go to the tab, believes on the top left, and you click believes. You may be able to actually download just this document where it shows our statement of faith. And so even as we're continuing this series, it might serve you to take a read of that because really we won't be able to go through it in its entirety in any message. Again, we preach for... 30 to 35 minutes, there's no way we can actually touch everything here. But this morning, the message is entitled, Where We Stand, the Triune God. Again, this won't be exhaustive. Um, Think about it like an appetizer of sorts, to open up your appetite as we delve further into the truths of God. And we'll be looking at various passages today, but I want to start us off in Titus 3, verses 4 to 7. And it reads, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Lord, may the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to us, and may it do the things that it's supposed to accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Does the right description matter? I want you to think about that question as I tell you a real life story. So there's a real life story. There's a young man that some of you may or may not know. When he was a much younger man, he used to teach regularly at a Bible study with a bunch of young adults. And one faithful evening, at that bible study someone came up to the preacher to accost him to challenge him and what was this person's grievance well he wanted to know how this teacher preacher could be such a hypocrite how could he be such a hypocrite and to recall the words in this young man that you may know um the irate challenger said this i'm gonna have to tell As best as I can, I wasn't there, but it just makes it more dramatic. Listen, I don't know how you do it enough. How you come here every week to preach the Bible to us. And just this week, I walked you up in the club, dancing away with the ladies. You were having all kinds of fun and wild time. And you saw me and you acted as if you didn't even know me. This was the concern of the lad. And perplexed this young preacher that you may or may not know, insisted that who the guy saw was somebody else. I mean, this young man would have been singing the song, it was me. This was the refrain he constantly repeated to the accuser. But alas, the accuser did not believe him. And disappointed he just simply threw his hand up in the air and he just walked away now here's a problem you see our accuser was unaware of a not so simple fact that this young preacher was actually an identical twin so who he would have seen in the club was not actually the preacher but his identical twin Um, again the person he saw may very well have looked like the preacher sounded like the preacher had mannerisms like the preacher but it certainly wasn't him this is what we call a case of misidentification and again to the credit of the accuser it's very understandable how a mishap like that can happen i don't know if any of you would have been familiar with how twins are You know, the very details of a twin would make a difference. Um, I I was just in the car with a friend and she was telling me how, you know, their twin siblings, they were able to do switcheroo's all the time. And this young preacher that you may or may not have known, um, (laughs) he and his twin would switch in the midst of exams. And the teachers wouldn't even know these things. Again, um, I will say for the sake of this twin that you may or may not know, um, fortunately, he and his brother are now in Christ and they both are following Christ. And so hopefully there won't be any more misidentification. But again, there are just these little details that make a big difference. And again, you can understand it because when you actually know a twin... So, for example, Sheldon is a twin, and I'm able, to, I'm able to tell Pastor Sheldon from Shane. But mostly because I know Pastor Sheldon. I know him pretty well. I can tell some of the details. I know some of the very small differences in their posture and things like that. And so it's very important to know the details when you're trying to get to know people. Now you ask, why is this important? What does this have to do with the Trinity? What does this have to do with God? Well, by extension, there's nothing more important than knowing who God is. And especially in the context of uh, religious circles, there are a lot of examples that we have that kind of tell us who God is. Even in Christian circles, uh, you might hear the God of uh, the Mormon or the God of the Jehovah Witness and they can kind of look like twins they kind of resemble each other but when you look at the details you realize okay no there's a little difference here and so god in his scriptures he has revealed some details about who he is um to get it wrong you'd be guilty of misidentification. And it it may not just lead to a simple, awkward conversation at a Bible study, but that misidentification could really pose some important challenges. You know, John Stott has this quote here where he says, Most of our problems arise and seem insoluble because our image of God is distorted you see as his image bearers especially it's going to be very crucial that we understand the person that we are supposed to be reflecting am i right if i'm supposed to be an image bearer i need to understand the image that i am to reflect what is god like is then the most important question that you or i have to be able to answer and though our very modern post Modern age would probably say, boy, try, try and answer that question is a bit arrogant. At best, it's speculative. You see, one of the things as believers, we can first affirm the fact that we can answer such questions. We can go on the task of this, not because of anything attributed to us, but because of God himself. We can know something about God. We are dependent on him to reveal it to us. Well, This is why it was so important that when we started this series, Joel would have begun with what we believe about scripture. What we understand scripture to reveal. The scripture is God's self-revelation. This is how he introduces himself to us. And so again, even though we are very aware that we are creatures, he is the creator. And that is going to pose some challenges as we try to fully understand God. One of the things I want to encourage you about is the fact that you can truly know God. You can truly and objectively know God. And he's made that possible through the special revelation of scripture and ultimately through his son by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The most authoritative person and the subject of God is God himself and this is why our knowledge of him must be grounded in scripture. And so again, while this question of who God is could lead to an entire year long sermon and teaching about the attributes of God. We're going to focus on one area and really one segment of that area. So we're going to look at this idea of the trinity. I want to borrow a statement from or a section of the statement of faith as it relates to the doctrine of the trinity and it says the trinity, uh, the trium God speaks about the fact that the one true god eternally exists as three persons father son and holy spirit infinitely excellent and all glorious you know i want to emphasize something just even from this point you see this discussion about the trinity and even doctrine in general is not just this mere quest of mental ascent or an intellectual exercise that we get to do you see, this thing that we're doing is ultimately about worship. It should lead to worship. Having a right understanding of God and who He is is important as we are called to worship and adore Him. Because really, we need to worship Him in the way He has revealed. Misidentification of God is not a light matter because we are doing a very precarious dance with idolatry that's the truth because if we worship god in a way that he's not we are not worshiping the true god and so we're going to touch this topic in two questions who does god say he is and why does this matter very simple who does god say He is why does this matter so let's look at the first part who does god say he is Again, there's no doubt much mystery when you answer a question like this. Um, Again, it comes down to the fact that we are finite creatures and then we are trying to comprehend this infinite creator. And so first of all, that must let us be what? Very humble. Let us start this exercise with humility. It, It should keep us very dependent. It should cause that arrogance is very far from us. A very important passage is Deuteronomy 29 29 where Moses beautifully shares this tension that we have to walk in this is what Deuteronomy 29 29 says it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law again there are things in the nature and the character of God that we will not grasp. But to understand this, we need to realize that whatever God reveals about himself is for your benefit, and it's for my benefit. And so what does the scripture say about the Trinity? If we, let me just do, just, if you pull up your Bible app, and you scroll in there, and you do type Trinity, or type Triune, how many answers you think you'll get when you do that? Surprise, surprise, you're going to get zero. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with the fact... Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you for serving me. All right. So we're going to realize that when you do that search... I'm going to have to go lower because I was speaking louder. You're going to find zero. When you search in the Bible for Trinity... There's no word for Trinity. There's no word for Triune. So before you check out now and say, boy, why are we even wasting our time doing this? I want to give you some pastoral insight. You see, remember, as image bearers, what was one of the jobs that man was given in the garden? One of the jobs he was given was to name the animals, right? He said, go and name the animals, to observe and to identify and then to name And so understand then, when you see believers of the past, read the scriptures, observe it, and identify certain things. One of the things we do is we give a name to it. We give a name to it, to summarize it, to explain all the things that we've seen and come to understand from scripture. And so one of the things you're going to notice as you look through Genesis and Revelation, God has given certain cues to his children as he describes himself and so let me tell you one of the first observations one of the first thing we observe is that God is one God is one when you look through the biblical data you recognize you see that Deuteronomy 6:4. let me just give you one verse this is a popular verse even in the Jewish faith they call this the Shema right this is something they say regularly Deuteronomy 6.4 says Hear O Israel The Lord or God The Lord is one And so there is no God Apart from the one That scripture reveals There is only one being When you hear one God Really what is trying to say That there is no other being That exists That has this unique and divine nature One category Of being exists God. No one is like him. This is the core of what it is to be a Christian. And in the New Testament, you're you're gonna hear even James say this in James two nineteen. It's such a simple and core teaching that even the demons believe it. He says this in James two nineteen that even the demons believe that God is one, but they tremble. You see, unlike so many other belief systems, Christianity is a monotheistic faith. We don't believe in multiple gods in this universe. Only one being holds a title and place as God. This means then that you and I, our allegiance and our admiration must go only to one. You see, God will not share his throne with any other. And his desire is that we give him wholehearted devotion. We are not the people who go up and pray and say, we want to thank the universe. We are not that people that go and say, boy, you know, Mother Nature did this and that. We believe in one God. We serve the one and living God. This is what you find throughout the pages of scripture. Let me give you another description that you will notice, though, when you look at Scripture. The second description of God. You see, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, we do see it presents three persons who are God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and exist. But then Jesus is referred to as God when he comes and rises from the dead. Thomas sees him in John 10, John 20, verse 28. And what does Thomas say to him? My Lord and my God. Okay, okay. And then when you go and look in Acts, you hear a story of Ananias and Sapphira and how they are trying to set up, you know, people are giving out stuff, they sell them house and, you know, they want to kind of show off, say things look good and so them give, give the money and say, yeah man, yeah man, I sacrifice all of this, blah, blah, blah. And a very unfortunate thing happens where Peter looks on them both and say, why would you lie? To the Holy Spirit. And then he specifies in Acts 5, you have lied to God. You have not lied to man, but to God. And so again, these are just three different verses stating something that the Bible says. That the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And so, this is another section of the statement of faith that tries its best to describe what the Bible reveals. It says, Each person is fully God, sharing the same deity, attributes, and essential nature, yet there is but one God. All right, again, you might see something like this, and you say, All right, maybe this is just Scripture's way of describing different names for the one God. You know, we have different names for God, Jehovah, Elohim, El Shaddai, maybe Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is just other names. But again, this is not what you seem to see because here's an issue. What you see in scripture is that while each person is distinctly God, we see them actually operating and existing all at the same time. And so, if you preview that as you open your Bible to Genesis 1, you're going to see just this very beautiful narrative how God the Father creates the heaven and the earth with what? His Word. And then if you you realize, you look at John 1, you see John 1 talking about in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word referring to Jesus Christ. Yet at the same time in Genesis, you you see this idea of the Spirit hovering over the waters. And so even in creation at the very beginning, you get this idea that the person of the Father, the person of the Son, the person of the Spirit is all operating at the same time. And then if those who would remember when we would have been going through the book of Mark, and seeing Jesus' baptism, Jesus being baptized, and you're seeing the or hearing the Father's voice from heaven and the Spirit falling on him like a dove. Or then when you look in Matthew 28:19 to 20, where you hear the great commission and that we're told to baptize in the singular name of the three persons of the Godhead baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit so again this is one of the things we believe the father is not the son Uh, the son is not the spirit the spirit is not the father and so let me give you one more description that we see in the scripture while there is unity in the godhead each person has a unique role and especially, i just say only for here. we hear here, the unique role in creation, but the unique role in redemption. Time is not going to permit me to go into the amount of passages, but let me share one passage with you. We started it in the beginning of the message, Titus 3, 47. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our oh Savior, appeared... He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so you hear this, first of all, you hear this idea of the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior. Here you realize he's talking about God the Father, God the Father who is the orchestrator of our salvation, but then you hear, how does he accomplish this? By the washing of regeneration of the holy spirit so you see a different role that the holy spirit has so the father is orchestrating the holy spirit is doing regeneration and renewal whom he poured out richly through jesus christ our savior so you hear god our savior and then jesus christ our savior how jesus himself is the mechanism the mechanism, the, the the way that God the Father is accomplishing salvation. So again, Paul is here reminding us that it was the Father's loving kindness to send Christ his Son to die on behalf of his people. At the same time, it was the Holy Spirit responsible for the changing of our hearts. He's the comforter that the Son promised to send and transform us. And you see, the principle of this triune God is... Again confirmed all throughout scripture. You see this idea again did not come about. For the first time in the council of Nicaea. As some people assume when they read church history. Again Christians simply just named what they saw in the Bible. Which as I said before is what image bearers do. We see. We identify. And we name. And so frankly apart from the revelation of scripture i just want to say the human mind would not come up with this idea of the trinity it's see, outside of what god tells us you and i actually have nothing in creation that resembles this and honestly this is why all the analogies that you would probably hear about how this works kind of always falls short i mean what are some that you've heard oh okay maybe the trinity is like What we understand, water is. Because guess what? Water can sometimes be solid, liquid, and gas. Right? That sounds like a very good analogy, doesn't it? H2O, solid, liquid, gas. Three? Well, again, when you look at it and compare it, you realize, no, that don't work. Because guess what? It's either solid, or it's either liquid, or it's gas. It's not happening all at the same time. Or maybe sometimes you might hear somebody say, Okay, Sean, you are Sean. But Sean, you are a father. Sean, you are a pastor. Sean, you are a husband. But again, it's the same person. It's the same Sean. All that you hear in our different roles and activities. And so, again, one of the things you see throughout church history many of the attempts to try and explain what we see in scripture in ways that we can uh, fully grasp and understand usually has ended up into some areas of false doctrine and so that's why you might have the idea of modalism where again uh, god is changing his mode one time he's being the father one time he's being the son one time he's being the holy spirit or you have this idea that there's three There's clearly three gods, but again, that contradicts what we see scripture say. There's only one. Or you have, again, this one is big words, but Arianism. Again, this was just something that was started by a guy named Arius, right? Yes, Um, that's the church history guy, if you want to understand that talk to Sheldon. But again, this idea that... You know, well, maybe what's happening is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit is just lesser versions of the Father. But again, when you look at Scripture, that's not what you understand. We just have to affirm the statement, God is one. He reveals himself as the Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, each being God having unique roles. We call those things a conundrum of sorts, or a seemingly conundrum. But I'll say to you, it seems like it's a contradiction, but again, you remember how I started? A creator trying to explain things to creation. Creation. You can try and explain to us about the internet and how it works. They're going to tr- it's going to be a little tricky for them to figure out all the details. And so that's one of the things you, you realize. And again, I just want to put a plug here for the importance of church history. Again, we are very hearty people, I find, and maybe you don't want, we won't say we. I find myself, I can be a very hearty person because I am now in the 21st century. I have the internet, I have access to all this knowledge, I can search for things, and sometimes I just think I'm brighter than all of the people who came before me. And this is one of the struggles that I find that we have in contemporary cultures. Where we put very little weight on the past. It's so easy to disregard the things that have been said in the past. Because again, somehow we think ourselves to be far more bright and far more pious than people of the past. I would just say to you, it's amazing reading church history sometimes. And you read about how some of these men and women spent their time. I can tell you, they spent very little time on Instagram. They spent very little time doing some of the things that we are so busy doing. People dedicating their times to just simply studying scripture. Spending the days reading and trying to understand and grapple with the things that they're seeing in scripture. And so we should not just forget what Christ said himself about his church. What did Christ say? On this rock, I will build my church. Christ has been building his church. He has been building his church from the very beginning. He didn't start with GFC. He did not start with your church that he used to go to either. Jesus has been building his church from he rose from the dead. And the apostles were here. And so we will do well to understand that God is continuing to build his church through the lives of men, through the apostles and the preachers and church history. Again, when you look at church history, it's mixed with a lot of good and bad. But God has been able to preserve his truth through his people as they've endured suffering and as they've spent time to grapple with the truths of scripture. And so by extension, I'd say to you, benefit from church history as it relates to hearing the errors that people have had in the past. Listen, some of these errors that you and I hear about, is not just now them come up, you know. There's a reason Ecclesiastes says in verse 1-9 that there's nothing new under the sun. I guarantee you any idea that you hear, it's not new. It might just be packaged a bit differently. But many of the things that we see in scripture and the the questions people ask, these are not new things. Look back in history and see how men for over 2,000 years have been grappling with certain things. And in the case of the Trinity, church fathers took a span of over 300 years thinking about and defending the essential truths about who God is. And so where the church fathers and mothers had controversy, the church today will do well to listen to them. And so again, if you want to spend some time with that, ask Sheldon. Let him tell you where you can read about church history. We can tell you some books that you, you can benefit from. One, a, a very helpful book was, um, is it Historical um, Theology? Right, Historical Theology is a very good book where they go through the cores of the, the Christian faith and then they will just give you a list of, of different people in church history, what they believed, what others believed, so that you can weigh and hear it. Again, you realize that there's nothing new under the sun. All right, so let's go to the second and last point. Why all of this thing matter? Why trying to parse out who God is? Why are we wasting time here? I, want, I said it at the beginning. When we want to answer a question like this, our understanding of who God is and who the Trinity is should shape your worship. I intentionally want to grab something from Psalm 139.17 where it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Or Psalm 145, 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. I mean, do you feel like to sing a song like that when you read the scripture, when you, you try to understand the vast nature of God and who he is? Does it make you want to say how precious are the thoughts of you? How vast are the sum of them? I mean, if you don't feel that way, may God help you. May God help me. Because I read this and I'm like, David, what's a big deal? But it is a big deal. This is what the psalmist wants to remind us of. As he thinks on the vastness and the thoughts of God, it motivates him to worship. It motivates him to want to praise and adore it motivates him to want to affirm the truths of God. Our God is so great. He's so exhaustive. This is the only response you have when you encounter God that again, our human mind says, wow, that's an amazing God. I, I, I can't even explain something. I can't even give something in creation to show an example of who he is. No doubt we should be left in awe. Of this God who, again, no human example or analogy can compare. Let that worship drive you to obedience and reliance on Him. Let us reject all forms of idolatry which cause us to worship a description of God which is contrary to what He reveals. One of the things it should do, it should cause you, the idea of the Trinity should cause you to marvel at your salvation. Michael Reeves says this in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. You cannot have a biblical view of God apart from the Trinity. You cannot have a Christian view of salvation apart from the Trinity. You cannot hope to follow Jesus faithfully apart from the Trinity. That sounds like a very strong statement. But I'd say to you again, we alluded to it a bit when we're looking at Titus. What you see is the view of salvation in the Christian faith. It shows where we are talking about salvation being accomplished by God. Only God can accomplish salvation. And then what you see is how the Father is the originator. And the Son accomplishes, the Spirit completes and so again, may this lead you to worship as you see how the Father has planned and chosen us from the foundations of the world. How the Father, the great initiator of our salvation, would send His Son us. Would it make you stand in wonder as you think of how the Son and His work being perfect substitute for your sins. How He lives the perfect life To obtain your redemption. How he does all he needs to do to reconcile you back to the Father. May you revel in the relationship that you see happen as you watch the Holy Spirit. As you see how the Holy Spirit is responsible to open up your eyes. That when you look in scripture, things that don't make sense start to make sense. How a heart that used to be hard and against God all of a sudden changes. How your heart of stone all of a sudden turns into heart of flesh. Things that just don't make no sense. Now you see, oh this is precious. How all of a sudden the gospel seemed like foolishness to you. And how it was a mockery. And then all of a sudden you want to be like the man who sells all he has. And sees a treasure in the field and wants to sell everything just to have it. Would you marvel at the salvation brought to you? By the Holy Trinity. May you sing praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. You now, friends, what, what did you bring to the table for your salvation? What work did you do to save yourself? The only thing you did was bring sin. The only thing you did was bring rebellion. But look and marvel at how God did everything to bring it to himself. Not a one-person job. The Trinity reminds us how salvation is all of God. So let no man, let no woman, no child boast. You know, I say a small thing here. I think it should, again, affect how we pray realizing again in the work that the Godhead has accomplished how because of what the son did you now have access to the father and so it causes you to be able to pray and look to the father make requests to the father but realizing the reason you're able to do this was because of what the son did the son made it possible that you could come to the father And then when you're not sure how to pray, and you say, boy, what I must pray, remember the Holy Spirit. He's your comforter. He says, hey, I can give you words. I can give you groanings. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by His leading, you can pray. And so again, this understanding of the Trinity should affect prayer. You see, the understanding of the Trinity should also affect your view on relationships. Relationships. Relationships here and now. You see, one of the things that you realize from the Trinity, it reminds us that even before creation, do you understand this? You see, even before creation, before anything existed, God was relational. Listen, God didn't become loving just because he made you and I. God was who he was before he created and so what you realize is God was always a relational being. There was love, there was intimacy, there was companionship from before the foundations of the earth. And so that's why Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, could say in John 17:24 and, and pray this for his disciples, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Again, imagine perfect relationship, perfectly being known, perfectly being loved and understood. This is the relationship that happened in the Trinity. This is so much of us, so much of us crave relationship. We search from it from one another all the time. We yearn from it as we seek to be accepted by crowds. And we follow certain movements when we seek certain relationships in intimacy. Sometimes outside of the context that God is pleased with. We too want to be loved. We too want to be known. And so guess what you realize? We too can be perfectly loved, perfectly accepted and understood. Because you can realize God wants to invite you into that perfect relationship as well. He wants you to share in the same fellowship that he has in the Godhead. Again, so this doctrine of the Trinity is meant to challenge even our cultural view of individualism. It's is strength. And maturity in the eyes of the world is seen with how independent you can be. How you can manage on your own. But if even God operates in community, who do you think you are to thrive outside of community? You need community. You need fellowship. It's reflected in God himself. You see, this understanding of the Trinity should affect your view also on partnership and even leadership again in the world's system leadership comes down to um, strong and weak Uh, who is better who is smarter Um, who is more prominent who is more popular who is more important that's the guy you put in charge or the, the lady you put in charge right but take some cues regarding leadership and partnership as you look at the trinity again we said jesus the son the father the holy spirit they are all equal they share in the same divine nature they are equal in importance equal in and and deserving of worship but what did we say before they have different roles and so there's no hierarchy of importance in the trinity they're all equal yet they operate differently In the roles. So what we remember about salvation, it was the Father who sent the Son. And then the Son sent the Holy Spirit. Again, equality in the Trinity, the Trinity should affect how you think about leadership in the home. And then, so when you see the scripture tell you about how leadership should happen in the home or how leadership should happen in churches, it should shape your understanding. It should cause you to realize that submission is not this thing that causes you to be lesser than. Did not the son say that he listens to the father? Does not the Holy Spirit say, he, he, I, do what, I do what the son says? So who are you to say, yeah, yeah no, submission, uh, no. Leadership, who do you think you are? Does not your employer have The ability to give you instruction. Again, a lot of the things that we fight against is because we have a misplaced understanding of who God is. That is our problem. When you find it a struggle to understand leadership and submission and and stuff like that, it's really because you don't realize that this happens in the Godhead. Again, let the example of our trying God affect how you view different gifts that God gives people for the overall benefit of his church and the the purpose of mission. The reality is sometimes we can look down on the difference and the variety of gifts in the church. You know, the gift of the apostles or the, the healings or a preacher is, you know, yeah, that's a great gift, but you know, what is administration? What is helps? You know, I remember people when they used to fill out this gift card to try and identify a gift, and I remember a friend of mine just saying, what, what, how come I have all the, the, the cheap gifts? But the reality is, that's not how things work. Again, the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us to understand that in our churches, we can be unified But understand there's diversity. We are unified without being uniformed. There is diversity racially, economically. We have different preferences and passions. Grace Family Church, may we continue to mature in our unity of the faith. May we continue to be unified under the principles of the gospel and and celebrating it as we live and worship. But at the same time, may we be people who can recognize and encourage and celebrate immense diversity. You know, as we close, as I said at the beginning of this message, we could spend sermons upon sermons delving into this very doctrine. Again, what I've done is barely scratching the surface and If what I've shared so far has left you with many questions, I want you to be encouraged to not mark this as a doctrine, to be ignored. This is not an academic exercise. It is not theological gymnastics. What we are doing is not dry and dead dogma that uptight Christians argue over on social media. This thing is to make us worship this thing is to let us be in awe of the God that we serve. You see, as we engage, no doubt you're going to find it pretty hard to understand some things and realize you're not alone. But being able to understand who our Father is and who the Son is and who the Holy Spirit is, who our God is in, in His character and His nature, is important. You know... I just think of an analogy. I find it funny. Um, Sarah, sometimes she gets irked every time someone calls her Sarah. Now, I realize that's not a petty thing, you know. Your name is your name. I always find it weird when someone looks at my name and says, Sian? Yeah, people do that. Um, But you know what I realize? You know, it's simply just a sign that they just don't know me. And that is really what it is. Again, you might not be able to parse out how the Trinity works in details. You might not be able to um, learn how to teach all these things. But what it is, is as you come to learn who God is, you'll be able to interact. You know, I, I want to read this quote from God Questions Ministry. We must emphasize that, it is not necessary that a person understand the Trinity in order to be saved. Salvation consists in believing on the person of Jesus Christ and his work on Calvary, not one's view on the Trinity. However, those who have trusted Christ as Savior should readily accept the doctrine of the Trinity once it's explained to them. And so let us press further into the Scriptures, saints. Having confidence that as you get to know God for who he is, that you would delight in him more. That it would cause you to treasure who he is. Who God is, is central to our faith as disciples. And so as we continue to learn what scripture reveals about who our father is and who the son is and who the spirit is, let us be led into worship. Let it cause us to be enamored with the God who is a relational being, who through the work of the Son and the power of the Spirit wants to bring you and I into eternal fellowship with Him. Our triune God is calling anyone today who would believe on the work that Christ has done to come into His glorious family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your work. Again, one thing that we realize is it never does take little work to sort out our salvation. All hands were on deck. All hands were on deck. And you did all that you needed to do to accomplish our salvation. Again, our salvation to bring us into this perfect relationship that you have shared with with each other from eternity god we thank you that you invite us into that today we pray that anyone who would have heard the truths of your word that they would believe in faith in you and that we today lord that we will daily come and delight in you may we be like the psalmist who say vast are your thoughts and that it would cause us to come to you in praise in jesus name we pray amen You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.